This is the Education Gadfly Show. Hi, it is sort of funny because I want to see Brooklyn. Oh, it's I, great. It's a love story. I, I saw that too. See, Robert and I, metrosexuals here, we go both oh, ways on, on these movies. No. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me welcoming my co-host, the revenant of education reform, Robert Pendicio. Does that mean I've come back from the dead? Uh, or just from a long absence. So, uh, if you it's look it up. Been a week, it's <laughs> Have you seen the movie yet? I have not, but I'm, real, I'm looking forward to oh, it, honestly. You do see movies. This is good. I You're obviously like, like a curmudgeon yeah. about oh, pop culture. No, no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Yes, it's it's your it's call. quite a movie. I I didn't. It's yes. Wow. And uh, and to see uh, you know Leonardo DiCaprio go through all kinds of hell. Right. Uh, fascinating. You know what struck me though? See if you agree with this afterwards. Th- th- this movie it, it's about Jeb Bush. It is. Yeah, he's back you from know. The dead? Well, maybe if okay. he comes back. If he's there's the a comeback Netflix? story, okay. you know, he's uh, because he's basically been uh, you know buried alive, uh, and yet here he is trying to okay, crawl. Let's see how far we can beat this metaphor. Back. Into the ground, deeper Crawl into the back that, into contention. Was buried in. Of course, uh, somebody on uh, Twitter. Who was it? Oh, I'm going to forget. Uh, asked uh, who is the bear in that analogy? To which I reply, Well, if you really have to ask that question, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, probably not uh, to this year's uh, political yeah, contest. Much all the other candidates. Right? Uh, well, one in particular. Oh, yeah, one or two. Okay. Speaking of Jeb Bush, we're going to talk about his new education plan and other education reform goings on this week. So, Clara, let's play. Pardon the Gat and Fly. Jeb Bush recently released his campaign's education plan. What are the highlights, and where did he fall short? Jeb the Revenant Bush. Jeb the Revenant Bush. Here he is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he has a plan out, and it's quite good. You know? That's not surprising. That's not surprising. All of that, the, the, the gang of however many there are left, he's got the deepest resume on education by far. He does. Now, look, his, his track record in Florida was stellar. It's been a big part of his post-governor life, is going around the country helping other governors, especially Republican yep. governors, craft education reform plans and he got great results issue yeah i mean look at at the state level florida made huge gains under his tenure you you know you'll be accused of of misnapery if you say that you can prove that's because of his policies but it sure seems like something uh did something to get student achievement up dramatically for Mm -hmm. low-income kids in florida and it was probably those set of reforms certainly has something to do with it among the most choice friendly states in the country and choice friendly as well we were reminded that by a a big rally for school choice in tallahassee just this past weekend. So a lot of good stuff. Now, here's the trick is that, of course, Congress just passed a big overhaul of the No Child Left Behind Act, his right. brother's big education bill. So there's really not much to be done in the K-12 front going forward. I mean, none of these folks uh, are going to do much on K-12 education right. because they're not going to reopen uh, th- this new uh, ESSA. Uh, so his no. most interesting stuff is really at the preschool level uh, no. and at the higher ed level. And there's that always that bully pulpit argument, right? Uh, and there's the bully pulpit stuff. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, Robert. And, and kind of still uh, it makes you scratch your head. He, as as one of the leading Republicans on this issue, he makes the case both at, at pre-K and at, at college to try to focus scarce resources on the neediest kids. Right. And it's the Democrats who talk about universal pre-K right. and oh, universal free college. Universal. Why, right. I don't get it. Why is it that the Democrats are the ones that want to give free stuff to rich people and it's the Republicans who only want to give free stuff to poor people? Here's what I don't get. Right now, our presidential choices have been narrowed to one party has narrowed it down to two old white candidates and the mm-hmm. other party is the Republicans. Yes. 
it's very well said. Very well said, Robert. You should be on Fox News with that kind of commentary. I love it. Just trying to keep it moving, Mike. Look, uh, who knows if, if Jeb is the revenant and can actually come back from the dead. Probably not likely, but, uh, you know, his education plan may live on. It's certainly something that a Marco Rubio could pick up or other center-right uh, candidates if they were to find themselves in the White House. Okay, topic number two. A group of elite colleges are out with a proposal to change college admissions. Is it praiseworthy? So, are you going to praise it, Brother Bundesio? Well, Can we get an amen? Um, not quite. Okay. I, you know, look, I, I, you know me, Mike. I am not a cynical guy, right? Would you describe me as a, a cynical guy? I'm a fairly no, earnest you're, fellow. But, right? but you're skeptical, yeah, rightfully so. Appropriately you so. called the rising graduation rates bullshit last week. Oh, I did. I, I uh-huh. kind of used that word, didn't yeah. I? Oh, sorry, but Well, I'm not going to use it for this report, but I'm tempted. Uh, I mean, look, there, you know, there's this report out um, from a group of, of higher ed institutions led by the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And I look, fair, full disclosure, I've not had a chance to, to read this report in depth. I'm going to read it tonight. I'm going to write about it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but Frank Bruni wrote about it in the New York Times yesterday because I'm not Frank Bruni. He gets the advanced copy. I do not. Yeah. But look, the, the, the issue here is they're saying there's too much pressure on high achieving kids. They're taking hundreds of APs. There's this kind of academic arms race in the colleges mm-hmm. are saying that's got to stop. But a, a glance at this report, they're not taking it that many meaningful steps. It's all messaging. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they want to promote uh, meaningful contributions to community service, engagement with the public good, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's their concern, uh, that there's too much pressure on kids. They're putting too much pressure on themselves to be super achievers. They're forgetting the common good. They're lacking in empathy. Mm-hmm. It's starting to sound like, forgive me, they're concerned about a kumbaya gap. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, come on. Uh, we're not going to be able to legislate away um, uh, human nature. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have ambition. You can't, college presidents cannot message their way out of uh, kids mm-hmm. wanting to be in elite institutions. But you know what? That's not even what bothers me most about this. Mm-hmm. What bothers me most about this is this assumption, this tacit assumption, that the the high-end, the high-end achievers, the affluent kids uh, and their parents are what drives education in this country. Mm-hmm. We do not have a problem. I refuse to believe that we have a problem of over-ambition and mm-hmm. over-served kids. We have just the opposite problem. Right. So, I right. mean, this just sends the wrong signals. Well, look, this, this is an issue for like 5% of the schools, these hot house schools. They happen to be the ones that uh, many of our own kids go to and the, the children uh, of the media elites and etc. So we pay attention to this stuff. We think that's universal. And, that and, word again. and sure, there are some kids who are stressed out in these schools and then these, some of these schools may overdo it. But on the other hand, look, if, if as a parent, you don't want your kids stressed out, don't worry about them going to Harvard. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, like, what? Well. I mean, there's a lot of other kinds of colleges that they can go to uh, where they can have a more relaxed atmosphere. Here's my pie in the sky solution. You really want to end the academic arms race? Harvard, Yale, Princeton, yeah. do this. Publish your criteria. Say we're looking for these scores, we're yeah. looking for this GPA, the, this many hours of volunteerism, whatever it is. Yeah. Publish it, make it transparent. Every kid that applies who is qualified, lottery them in. Yeah, yeah. No, people will hate that, but it's, but you're Right, it's but probably it, more fair. Uh, let me fair, understand. Are, also, are they saying this the, in, in this uh, kumbaya proposal? Are they saying less focus on GPAs, less focus on SAT or ACT scores? Well, that's that's the uh, what the, the the devil in the details. Yeah. Are they willing to take kids with lower SAT scores? And, yeah. In other words, it's one thing to say we're messaging that yeah. these other things are important, but unless you are clear in your criteria, kids are going to have yeah. to do everything they can to stand out uh, from among this very very crowded field. Let, let me 
ask a difficult but frank question. Sure. Is this about lowering the percentage of kids at these schools who are Asian American? Uh, you know what I think it is? And again, I, I, and can I explain? I mean, right. Sure. I mean, I, I, don't, look, I don't know. I don't we, think we so. We see but. increasing evidence. First of all, there are some college campuses where there's a huge percentage of those kids are Asian Americans, right? Mm-hmm. Those kids are by and large outperforming uh, everybody else in America. They're outperforming most other people around the world Absolutely. when you look at the rankings, right? Incredibly high achievement. Uh, whether you look at test scores, whether you look at GPAs, you look at kids taking these AP classes, they are crushing it yeah. on average, of course. I'm talking about in generalities. Uh, and I think some of this reflects white parents' anxiety that their kids cannot compete with Asian Americans if you just look at test scores, if you look at GPAs, if you look at APs. Maybe if you start to look at these other warm and fuzzier things, yeah. their kids can look better. Here's what I think it is. It's a variation on that theme. I, I, I don't want to re- reduce this to, to a demographic battle, but I think there's some legitimate concern, and I don't minimize it, on the part of a lot of parents that, hey, my kid really is too stressed out. Hey, my kid really is uh, facing a lot of pressures uh, to, to achieve and stand out. And uh, rather than say what you just said, hey, you know what? Maybe my kid is not going to go to Harvard, and maybe that's mm-hmm. okay. They still want that prerogative, so they, they want nobody to be able to stand mm-hmm. out. So we got to change the rules for everybody so my kid can still be less stressed and still go to Harvard. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, topic yeah, number three. Critical. Topic number three. Is it really true that parents shouldn't try to help their kids with their common core math? <laughs> oh, Lord. Please. We have to have our silly common core debate. It's been a little while, but, but Robert, supposedly somebody important said oh. that they, uh, you know, parents, stop trying to help your kids with common core math. You're too dumb to do it. Leave oh, it to the okay. experts. Can, can, can we unpack what happened here? Jason Zimba, who I know and respect, but he's a controversial figure, right? He wrote the common core state, uh, math, math standards. Oh, he was one of the principal authors. Um, he gave an interview, I believe it was to the Heckinger Report mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, That was, and, and, and the headline was ridiculous. The headline, which had nothing to do with the report or what Zimba said, was something to the effect of, um, butt out parents, don't help your kids with their homework. Mm-hmm. And, and after what followed, what followed after that was a reasonable uh, uh, story about uh, doing just the opposite, helping your kids. So uh, I think it was Breitbart or some other mm-hmm. conservative website basically went after Jason Zimba and said, um, you know, here's this guy saying, um, butt out. Uh, don't help your kids with their math homework. He never said that. And he's yeah. got a piece on our blog that is a little bit more uh, nuanced and smarter. Sorry, mm-hmm. Breitbart. Yeah, no. And, and look, I think what Jason said, I remember years ago him making the case that uh, we would have avoided a lot of the controversy and backlash if schools had been a little bit smarter about what they assigned for homework. So, for example, rather than sending home all of this stuff that looked really unfamiliar to right. all of us who didn't go through math this way, right, about, you know, graphing out the answers to your problems and, and all this other the number lines and all this stuff you know because instead just assign especially for little kids assign them to just practice their math facts sure. which is a big part of the common core and which is a great activity to do at home yeah. with flashcards with apps on ipads with all kinds of things uh and and that and by the way you know that's the kind of thing where you just need to take the time to take that practice so that as the standards expect you get those math facts down to automaticity automaticity matters and one of the points that jason made in his piece on our blog is exactly that, that whether uh, you can help your kid with the, the, the more um, uh, advanced math or not, you can do things like work with them on their math facts, play mm-hmm. math games, uh, etc. So, I mean, look, I'll be honest, I wasn't able to help my, my daughter with her math homework past probably 7th or 8th grade. Math is not mm-hmm. my best subject, but we still played lots of math games and still, we, we to this day,
hey, we play math games that we, we invent ourselves. Mm-hmm. Plus that uh, poker game you've got. Uh, oh, yeah, that. But um, but she beats me now, so don't do that anymore. All right. Very good. All right. That's all the time we've got for Pardon the Gadfly. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. Hey, did you see The Revenant yet? Just have no interest. Really? Don't have any interest. I mean, it's gory. What is it? A guy fighting a bear? I mean, that's a small part of it, but yes. Like every stupid trailer is him all bloody and dirty and gangly fighting a bear. Oh, but there are some great survival skills that are taught in this movie. I I ended up sharing some details with the boys. Of course, I couldn't help myself. And and Megan starts shoving me because I'm going to give them nightmares based on some of the stuff. No, I didn't take them. I didn't take them, but I had to tell them about some of the things. It was amazing. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, I mean, I hate to be gender, but is yeah. it a female? Is it a guy? No, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, there, there's not a, it's probably mostly a guy movie. And, uh, but if you think the bear was amazing, wait till you see the horse. Wait a minute. Horse. Here's all I know. What do the Revenant and Washington have in common right now? A lot of snow. Oh, uh, there is, it is. This is why it is sort of funny because I want to see Brooklyn. Oh, it's great. I, it's a love story. Right? I saw that too. <laughs> see, Robert and I, metrosexuals here. We go both oh, ways on, on these movies. No, that's a movie. It's a great movie. Uh, my husband's like, do we have to? And I'm like, oh, we're going. It's good. Okay, there's it's a good, but yes. Mike and Robert go both ways. <laughs> okay. That's right. Can I go now? <laughs> okay, yeah. Why don't we get to the research? All right. We got a new study out by Calder with our buddy Dan Goldhaber. It examines a potential link between student teaching experience and both later teaching effectiveness and the likelihood of leaving the teaching profession. Hmm. Okay. Hasn't Dan done this study like 10 times? Well, I'm sorry, Dan. I had to say it. No, he hasn't. Okay. Um, He analyzed data from six Washington State university-based teacher ed programs, okay? And they graduate about a third of the teachers in the state, by the way. Um, A ton of data on teacher candidates. They're cooperating teachers, where they did their internship, how uh, long it was, I think. They had all this administrative data relative to race and gender and education background and teaching endorsement. I mean, talk about a Mm -hmm. powerhouse of data, okay? The sample included individuals who had completed their teaching experience between 1998 through 2010, mm-hmm. showing about 8,300 teaching candidates. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. The good old Dan says it about a million times that these are descriptive, not causal findings. Okay. Okay. Because he's got all these models that are great and wonderful, but at the end of the day, the day they cannot account for the non-random sorting that occurs here between mm-hmm. teachers of schools and teaching positions. Okay. Mm-hmm. So descriptive, descriptive, descriptive. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, interesting stuff. Okay. Key finding, but descriptive, teachers who taught, student taught in schools with low levels of teacher turnover are, lo and behold, less likely to leave teaching. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, regardless of where they were placed after. Uh, Right. That's right. Second, teachers (laughs) appear to be more effective. This is really interesting. When the student demographics at their school reflect those of the school in which they student taught. Mm. Also makes sense. For example, students in a high poverty school are predicted to score about 0.15 standard deviation higher Mm -hmm. if their teacher taught any school with the same free and reduced life lunch huh. percentage mm-hmm. than if their teacher taught in a low poverty school. That actually strikes mm-hmm. me as mildly counterintuitive. I'll tell you why in a minute. Well, I've got my own anecdote. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of interest, teachers are more likely to have student taught in a more advantaged school than their current school. 
Okay, so 60% of teaching interns or student teachers teach their first teaching gig in a school with a higher percentage of free and reduced mm-hmm. lunch kids right. than their school where they intern. Yep, not surprising. Not surprising. Uh, so this means that students in disadvantaged schools are less likely than those in advantaged schools to have a teacher whose internship matches their school setting. Mm-hmm. So advice... But they're also not putting up with student teachers. They're also not putting up with student teachers. Oh, in the low SES. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's... Oh, oh, oh. Right. Right, right. The the fewer of these high-poverty schools actually have student teachers, which you could argue is a good thing. We're not practicing on the poor kids. On the poor kids. Okay. Uh, Well, their their take is that if teacher ed programs are committed to teachers who can be successful in disadvantaged schools, then they need to be placing more Mm -hmm. teachers there. Yep. Okay. Um, Anyway, I just thought, I mean, there's no huge, like, takeaway from Amber here, except that we don't have enough good research on teacher ed schools, Mm -hmm. right? Because we don't have rock house databases like the one that Dan assembled together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, even though these weren't causal, that they were pretty intriguing and interesting findings. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would like to see, and this is completely intuitive, no no data whatsoever, just okay. you know, one teacher's experience. Okay. Um, I've always thought it would be, I would have been a better teacher if I had my first year of teaching in a high-functioning, however you want to define the school, regardless of demographics, but a school that was solid, stable, high-functioning, and then mm-hmm. send me to the, the South Bronx school where I, where I did my actual first year teaching because I spent so much time my first year learning the nuts and bolts, getting my discipline down, that until I had that down, I couldn't really teach at all. So I'd rather come in having learned my craft, so to speak, and then having having my my, my classroom management, my discipline down, and that that makes me a better Mm -hmm. teacher. Yeah, no, I definitely, look, I think that we shouldn't put anybody in a bad school for student teaching or in a uh, bad, with a bad teacher for student teaching, right? I mean, you definitely want people to see what it looks like when when it's done right. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is important. Now, I think you can find good high poverty schools out there. Sure. And those are the ones that, that we want to try to place kids in. I mean, look, I definitely think that these teacher ed programs uh, should be having specific programs for urban education oh, or for hey, high poverty yes. schools, right? right? And some do, yes. uh, right? And, and Not enough. And, and, you know, recruit kids on the front end who want to do uh, yep. those mission-based schools and, and focus everything on, hey, here's the curriculum that they teach in our big inner city district. And let's make sure you're ready to teach that. And let's do the discipline. And let's read Lamov. And let's does do any of those schools exist? Not a lot. I don't know. Relay match in in Boston, but not a lot. Yeah, I mean, my anecdote is I had all AP kits in my student teaching experience, and then I went to Norfolk Public Schools. Yeah, Yeah. urban. But now, did that help? Yeah, did that? Yeah. Uh, No. (laughs) Didn't didn't help you. These kids were on a different planet. I was I had at risk ninth graders, and I just came from twelfth grade AP students. So Mm -hmm. it's I don't think it's ideal either way to go. Like it's a shock to your system, right? Hey, one other factoid I didn't get to. Um, interns assigned to cooperating teachers with advanced degrees are less effective once they enter the workforce. That I wonder why that is. Head scratcher, huh? Yeah. Interesting. But we know that teachers with master's degrees, that's not predictive yeah. of more effective teaching. So. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, I know. I well, hey, here's on. here's my other big question, Amber. How many Dan Goldhaber studies have you now done on the Research Minute over the past eight years or so? I know. Huh? I, I think it. Dan is definitely the most of anybody, yeah. right? Well, you know, but Dan listens to the show, yeah. and he knows when we cover his research, and he thanks me for I know. It. So other uh, researchers out there, pay attention. I Amber know. is open to suggestions yes, uh, if I he wants know. your study covered. We're definitely into double digits on Dan Goldhaber. Dan is the research revenant. He'll be 
be back. He, uh, but he's not even close to being dead. All right. <laughs> no, no. Dan is more like the. Hmm, I have to think about this. Yeah, <laughs> get ourselves in trouble. Okay. Thank you, Amber. Fascinating stuff. And Robert. Till next time. I'm Robert Pundicio, and I'm Mike Petrilli, the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.